Hello, my rebels. You know, I got to tell you, I really think it's coming. I think that we are going to have vaccine passports. I see that New York State is already rolling them out, but they're being met with some opposition. We see some governors in other states saying never, never. But in Canada, is there actually any opposition to them? I'll take you through it and I'll explain why I'm opposed to it. That's next. Before I get to that, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. Just go to rebelnews.com, click subscribe. It's the video version of this podcast. You also get Sheila Gunn Reed's um, pod, uh, uh, videos every week, David Menzies. By the way, Sheila has a great video this week of her interview with Pastor James Coates, just released from prison in Alberta. That's on the show today. Anyways, it's eight bucks a month, which is what, half the price of Netflix? And it keeps us strong because it's what we rely on to be independent. Anyways, thanks for your support. Here's today's podcast. Tonight, vaccine passports are coming, aren't they? It's March 30th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon yeah. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Trudeau is good at posing for selfies and giving banal speeches that you forget the minute they're over. Hey, it's worked for him and probably will again in this year's federal election. But he's never actually done something. He hasn't run a, a business. He hasn't really held a job until becoming an MP. So negotiating for pandemic vaccines against every other country in the world pretty much was the most awful test of his abilities or lack thereof, wasn't it? I mean, the guy's first instinct was to sign a deal with a company that no one ever heard of called CanSino or CanSino, a Chinese vaccine maker associated with the People's Liberation Army. I don't think you needed to be a psychic to know how that was going to end. But you see my point? Normal political leaders, normal business leaders, normal health leaders would have thought, okay, who are the great pharmaceutical companies in the world, in the West? Probably, because the West has excellent science, but also reliable corporate culture, reliable safety culture, et cetera. I'd probably include Japan in that. I wouldn't really want to take a China-made medicine for anything, would you? Although that said, we know that a lot of our own Western medicines are manufactured in China, but I, I wouldn't want something developed by them, certainly not by the Chinese army, would you? For the same reason, I'd probably skip the Russian uh, vaccine too, but not Trudeau. He wanted the Chinese brand. That was the one he signed up for right away, even though at the time they had kidnapped two Canadian citizens and were banning our agriculture and generally waging a soft war against us. Now compare that to Donald Trump, who declared Operation Warp Speed to get vaccines manufactured, approved, developed at record time, uh, something uh, that the Brits did too. And the Europeans, so there's Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca and others. I'm skeptical of any vaccine rushed to market. I'm skeptical of taking medicine for a disease that more than 99% of people recover, recover from. But my main point is Trudeau had to outcompete everyone in the world, right? 200 countries or so. So he had to outcompete everyone from Trump to India's Modi to China's Xi Jinping, to Boris Johnson. In a real world, real deliverables 
can you get vaccines for the people who want them? So it's, it's not, did you like the speech? It's, where's the vaccines? Trudeau hasn't, can't, won't, whatever. In the real world, all that matters are results, and he can't. Now, there's two things to say about this. First of all, without vaccines, things have gotten better anyways. That's the good news. Without vaccines, the number of people in hospital in Ontario has fallen in about half just since January. And uh, here's Quebec, the worst province for the virus, absolutely plunging if you look at the graph. Again, my point is it's doing that pretty much without vaccines because Trudeau didn't get any. Um, Here's a chart generated from the data at Johns Hopkins University. Israel, which leads the world in percentage of population vaccinated, has pretty much exactly the same result as South Africa, which has vaccinated almost no one. Uh, Here's the reckless governor of California calling the governor of Texas reckless for lifting the mask laws and other lockdowns in Texas. Now, that was about a month ago, that tweet. Uh, But here's the data from the New York Times on Texas cases pretty much gone. My point of showing you this data is the good news is nature is working. However, uh, it's almost like the virus is just a really bad flu season, about triple the death toll of a normal flu season. And that's not good, but it's not Ebola. It's not the plague. It's nowhere near the top cause of death. In Ontario, the biggest province, not a single child has ever died from it. Not one, thank God. But of course, the public health deep state loves the lockdown. They love the spending. They love the power. They love the control. They love the distraction from other problems. They love the fear that will make people do whatever they want. They love the new flag of lockdownism, the mask. Here's Joe Biden telling states to force people to put masks on again. I'm reiterating my call for every governor, mayor, and local leader to maintain and reinstate the mask mandate. Please, this is not politics. Reinstate the mandate if you let it down. And business should require masks as well. The failure to take this virus seriously, precisely what got us in this mess in the first place, risk more cases and more deaths. deaths. Look, as I do my part to accelerate the vaccine distribution and vaccinations, I need the American people to do their part as well. Mask up. Mask up. It's a patriotic duty. It's the only way we ever get back to normal. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just a symbol. Um, I don't know why Aaron O'Toole is putting on a mask. You know he, he got the virus, right? He, and he got better from it. He's immune. So he's just putting on a mask as a symbol of his belief system. So first it was panic and lockdown. Then it was masks. Now it's vaccines. I mentioned Trudeau's screw up because he did manage to get his hands on a ton of AstraZeneca vaccines. But maybe there's a reason why. Here, take a look at this weird news. This is a little snapshot from the front page of today's Toronto Star, Canada's largest newspaper by circulation. Uh, One of Canada's countless public health boards uh, now says you should not take the AstraZeneca vaccine if you're over 64, and you should not take it if you're under 55. That's just a pretty small bandwidth. So just 55 to 64-year-olds, just those people. It's too dangerous if you're under 54. It's too ineffective if you're over 65. I, I think that's what it is. Who knows? Maybe they'll tell us something else tomorrow. Normally, you don't hear this after you've already given countless people the jab. But then again, normally vaccines aren't rushed to market in a matter of months circumventing the regular tests. 
Here's a scoop from Gateway Pundit, one of my favorite U.S. investigative websites. It's the Center for Disease Control's count of people who have died from the vaccine, showing that it's greater in the last year than in the last decade combined. But hey, uh, there's lots of money in it. I showed you a couple weeks ago how excited Pfizer is about not just one jab, but two jabs, and now adding a third jab. I mean, why sell only one when you can sell two, and why sell only two when you can sell three? Maybe there'll be a fourth jab or onto two or three masks now. And so now we approach vaccine passports. Isn't that amazing? Compelling people to buy your product. Uh, they're coming. Absolutely, they're coming. For about two minutes, Canadian politicians pretended they weren't coming. Uh, we want to encourage and motivate people to get vaccinated as quickly as possible. Getting as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible is the way to restore a semblance of, of normality in the coming months. And of course, we're going to make decisions uh, step by step and look at all sorts of different ways, both to encourage people to get vaccinated uh, and uh, keep people safe. The idea of certificates of vaccination for international travel uh, exist already and are well established. There are countries in the world where you uh, shouldn't go unless you can prove uh, prove that you've been vaccinated against certain tropical diseases, for example. That's well established. Um, but the idea of certificates of vaccination for domestic use to decide, you know, if who can go to a concert or who can uh, go to a particular restaurant or engage in certain activities does bring in questions of equity. Uh, questions of fairness. There are some people who, because of medical conditions or other reasons, uh, will not be able to get vaccinated. There are others uh, who are not on priority lists who will have to wait much longer before getting vaccinations. These are things that we have to take into, uh, into account so that, yes, we're looking to try and encourage everyone to get vaccinated as quickly as possible, but we're not discriminating and bringing in unfairness in the process at the same time. Uh, yeah, but they just can't stay away. It's a whole new industry, a, a lot of money, a lot of contracts, a lot of control, a lot of, it's a, it's a good way to keep paranoia up, to pit us against each other. Snitches have already been bad enough. People who snitch on their neighbors for having grandma over to come visit. Imagine now snitching on someone who hasn't had medicine. But you have to do it. You have to take a vaccine. They said to take AstraZeneca. Now they say that's too dangerous to do. They, they say to take Moderna and Pfizer, those are those mRNA vaccines that actually interact with your body's genes. That's not generally called gene therapy, but you know, uh, sometimes it is called gene therapy. Maybe it's completely safe. Look, I, I don't know. Uh, we thought AstraZeneca was safe. I don't know. It's a new technology that works on your body. It's the kind of thing I'd like to wait a bit just to have it tested a bit more before we inject healthy people with it? I mean, what do I know, though? I mean, Bill Gates says it's just fine. One final way that's new and is promising is called the RNA vaccine. With RNA and DNA, instead of putting that shape in, you put instructions in the code to make that shape. I don't know. Here's a shot of Florida these days. They're doing better than lockdown states like California, New York. I showed you Texas and their graph. Here's Las Vegas. They're out in the sun. They're obviously feeling some peer pressure to go to the gym and get fit, get healthy, exercise well, eat well. I think they're a bit healthier than people in Canada who have been told to stay home, 
Don't go out. Don't go to the gym. Don't go to the playroom. Just stay home, watch Netflix, and order fast food delivered to your house. How do you think I'm getting extra fat? It's because, you know, if I was living in Vegas, look at that lifestyle there. Doesn't that make you want to get fit? I think we're becoming prisoners psychologically. We're already physically prisoners, especially in Quebec, with their curfew. How can a free people accept a curfew for so long? There's a dis disconnect, though. I, I keep seeing stories in the news about how few doctors and nurses and hospital workers are choosing to take the vaccine. Isn't that alarming? It would be like a chef who refuses to eat his own cooking. That would be odd. And yet you have our political class lining up to make it mandatory for the little people. But how would that work? How could you compel someone to take a medicine, especially medicine that is potentially dangerous or, or that we simply don't know enough about yet? How do you compel someone to do that, especially if they're not sick? Whatever happened to being pro-choice, keep your laws off my body, where did those people go? It's not just the forcing of the vaccine. It's what the vaccine surveillance apparatus will do to all of us. Combine our social credit score with our medical reports, with our right to work and travel, and the rest of the modern panopticon, keeping track of everything about us, our bank records, etc. I'm somewhat worried about the vaccines. I really don't feel the need to take them myself. Plus, I'm not between the ages of 55 and 64. But I'm deeply worried about a society that allows total surveillance and obedience at all times, permission to do everything. You have to ask for permission in advance or you can't do it anymore. Remember that summer jobs grant that you had to swear an attestation that you support Trudeau's views on abortion, for example, before you can get a summer jobs grant? If they have a total control over you through a vaccine app, of course they could use that for anything else they deem politically necessary. If you're having trouble with this idea, imagine if this vaccine passport were for any other disease. Let's, let's pick a political disease, AIDS. People have a lot of views on AIDS. Where's your AIDS passport? Prove you're not sick. Prove you're not a risk. And then show the whole world, tell the whole world, any stranger, any shopkeeper, any politician, any policeman, show them that you don't have AIDS. Show them that you're not at risk. Tell the whole world about your health or don't live freely anymore. You know, you don't need to show ID to vote either in Canada or the United States, you know that? But now you need not just ID, but a passport to go around your own country, and not just a passport, your private health information, to go to your corner shop, completely illegal without a, without a passport, and yet the civil liberties groups are silent. I think they love it. Here's America's best governor. This is a story in the New York Post. I'm going to read the whole thing to you. Governor DeSantis vows to ban vaccine passports in Florida. I like this guy. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Monday vowed to take executive action to stop the use of so-called COVID-19 vaccine passports in the state. Quote, it's completely unacceptable for either the government or the private sector to impose upon you the requirement that you show proof of vaccine to just simply be able to participate in normal society, he said. You want the fox to guard the hen house? I mean, give me a break, the Republican governor added. I think this is something that has huge privacy implications. It is not necessary to do. DeSantis said the Sunshine State will have vaccinated a total of 3.5 million seniors, or about 75% of them, sometime this week. Quote, it's important to be able to do it, but at the same time, we are not going to have you provide proof of this just to be able to live your life normally, DeSantis said. He added, and I'm going to be taking some action in an executive function, an emergency function here very shortly. DeSantis' comments come after it was revealed that the Biden administration is working on creating a set of standards for more than a dozen passports being created so Americans can prove they've been vaccinated against the coronavirus. 
New York is the first state in the U.S. to formally launch such an app. The program, dubbed the Excelsior Pass, is an app that allows New Yorkers to prove their vaccination status or recent history of a negative COVID-19 test in order to gain entry to events and businesses. Major venues such as Madison Square Garden and the Times Union Center in Albany will begin using the app this week. And on April 2nd, Excelsior Pass will expand to smaller arts, entertainment, and event venues, Governor Andrew Cuomo's office has said. <laughs> it's terrifying. Now, do you think it's just about health? Here's a tweet from Asha Regappa. Uh, she's a CNN commentator, but she's a former prosecutor. Listen to this. Don't want a vaccine passport? Fine. How about a tax for those who refuse to get vaccinated? Proportional to the additional costs and burdens they impose on society as a result of needing to have the freedom, in scare quotes, to spread the potentially COVID variant infected aerosol everywhere. <laughs> you know what? I see that kind of commentary everywhere, especially from prosecutors who are just salivating over using this as a weapon. The fact that we're actually debating these vaccine passports is shocking, but it shouldn't be. We've been conditioned for this two weeks to flatten the curve, they said, or two years, whatever. Stand six feet apart, or not if you're an important person on an airplane. Don't go outside, don't go to the gym, don't let your kids play sports, but professional athletes are exempt from that. Don't go to church, go to Walmart, empty the prisons, put a pastor in prison, don't wear masks, then you must wear masks, now you must wear two. <laughs> and in Montreal, a curfew for every man and woman to be treated like a child, still in effect today. And here we are a year later. Of course vaccine passports are coming. At least in America, you have some conservative leaders pushing back. You've got 50 states. They have a fair bit of independence from the feds. You have Republicans in Washington fighting the idea too. In Canada, name me one politician who has said he's against it and who means it. Stay with us for a moment. I think I told you about my visits to Tommy Robinson when he was in uh, Belmarsh Prison in the UK, basically their Guantanamo Bay. Some of the treatment reported by Pastor, uh, uh, Pastor James Coates is similar to what solitary confinement in that British version of Guantanamo was like, at least the way he tells it. It's a terrifying story. Pastor Coates gave his last interview before he was sent to jail to Sheila, Gunn-Reed of Rebel News, and he gave his first interview out of jail to Sheila Gunn-Reed. So let me show you this, about 20 minutes. It's worth watching. Here's Sheila talking to Pastor James Coates. Pastor James, f first, how are you doing? Emotionally, spiritually, how are you doing? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I am trying to figure out how I'm doing. I don't know that I've quite um, gotten my feet on the ground as yet. I think I'm still adjusting to just everything that's happened since uh, my imprisonment and uh, don't really have a clear handle on uh, just what kind of world I'm stepping into at this point in time. Um, I'm obviously out of the rhythm of my routine and uh, a big part of that routine is preaching. And so I look forward to that. It's been a blessing to be here and to reconnect with our people and, and, and express my love for them and to have them express their love for me. But uh, I'm, I'm adjusting and I can't quite put my finger on what the adjustment is or why I'm feeling it's an adjustment, but it's an adjustment. And uh, I'm thankful to be out and I'm thankful to be here. And uh, I'm looking forward to just putting one foot in front of the next and taking it one day at a time. Now, I don't want you to rehash or relive anything, but 
what was a day like for you behind bars? Did you have a cellmate? How often were you able to talk to Aaron? What, without, you know, the gruesome, gory details, what was a day like? In quarantine, it was a challenge because um, I would get out twice for 15 minutes a day. I can remember one day, I think I told my wife that I had been in my cell for 23 hours between uh, exercises. And, and when you get out, you got 15 minutes and, and that's not a long time. Um, so that was a little bit of a challenge, but, uh, but I was able to get through it and, and get into a bit of a groove. And initially you're just trying to learn the culture that you're in and there's a way that things happen and you're just trying to learn it. So you're up to speed and, and, and that takes some time. And so I could kind of be distracted a little bit just by that entire process. Once I got out of quarantine, I did have a cellmate and, um, you know, he was, uh, uh, a good cellmate. We got along well and, and, um, had lots of good discussions and conversations and he's called me since I've been out already twice now. And, uh, so, you know, the morning begins around seven o'clock with breakfast. You go down to get breakfast, uh, you have your breakfast and then you return your trays and then you're, you're in your cell for a couple of hours, usually at least until nine, you might get out for an hour, typically got out for an hour ahead of lunchtime and lunch was 11. And then uh, you would get out once for an hour between lunch and supper. And, uh, and then you would get out for another hour, typically between supper and, and bedtime. And, and for that hour, you would, you would, I would spend a lot of time on the phone for sure. Um, I would call my wife a lot. That was obviously a highlight for me uh, in the day. I loved those conversations. I'd have chaplains visit me from time to time. I, I um, could play a little bit of basketball on the court outside, which is basically just a, a cement cube with no roof and, um, and just interact with the guys. Uh, it was, um, they were pretty good to me. They treated me well. Um, I have a, a neat story about the final moment leaving that I can share with you if you'd like to know, but uh, that gives you a little bit of a taste of a normal day. What was the worst part or the hardest thing to adjust to inside? That's a great question. I think adjusting to the diet was a bit challenging. Um, it's, not, it's not a comfortable place to be, obviously. Like I slept pretty, pretty well, but in terms of where you spend your time in your cell during the hours you're awake and not lying down, uh, it's not really a comfortable place to just sit. And, uh, and so it's difficult to be there and, and, and try and be productive, not feel like you can be productive, not be productive. Um, and so that's a bit of a difficulty for sure. One of the, the blessings was receiving lots of mail and mail would come and I could read that and that would feel productive and uh, it would encourage me and strengthen me. But I think just the lack of productivity and, 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 and the diet being what it was and trying to make up, it took me a little while to figure out how to use the canteen effectively uh, for me to be able to get the calories I need without without eating food that's uh, not doing me well. So the diet, the, the time in the cell, being uncomfortable from a, a seated perspective. And, um, and there were moments when the tension in the prison, you could feel it, something would be going on and you'd feel just a bit of a tension among the, um, the, the inmates. And that didn't 
last a long time or wasn't sort of consistent, but some of those moments were a little bit awkward. You, you'd feel the tension in the room and, and um, I tried not to share that with my wife so as not to make her worry. But, uh, but for the most part, and actually in large part, almost entirely, actually, the, the inmates were great to me and uh, I really appreciate them. Did you get a chance to minister to anyone on the inside? Because I think your incarceration was part of your ministry on the outside. Your church just blossomed, uh, even though you weren't here. Um, or at least that was my viewpoint, spending every Sunday here <laughs> while you were gone. Um, but did you get a chance to minister to somebody on the inside? Yeah, I mean, so once I got into GP, which is general public, I would have guys often come to my door and want to speak with me and would share difficulties in their life with me, and I would share the gospel with them. I mean, we'd be talking through a door to each other, um, but I would share the gospel with them. So that happened often, where guys would just come to me. There was a gentleman next door to me, and he wanted me to do a Bible study, so I went down to the floor. I was on tier three, and so we went to the floor where there's tables and sat down, he and I, within about 60 seconds, three or four of the guys sat down with us and, and, and there we are in the gospel of John having a Bible study. And, um, yeah, I had lots of opportunities to share the gospel. I didn't get a lot of opportunities with the guards because you're, you're at a bit of a distance away from the guards, but, but in terms of being able to speak to the guys in, in the, the remand, uh, lots of opportunities. And just to kind of show, um, the affection that we had for each other, in the moment that I was leaving, I turned around. Uh, I was at the exit entrance to the whole pod. I turned around and I lifted up my hand to wave and, uh, and the doors of the, the, the pod began to shake as the men in their, in their cells just banged on their doors as a sign of um, support, uh, love, affection. And uh, I was with the chaplain actually when that happened and he's emailed me since then and just shared with me that he'll never forget that moment. And it was precious to me as well. And so um, that just gives you a little bit of a picture of the way that they uh, thought toward me and, and treated me. Were you aware of just how big your story was while you were inside? I mean, Aaron was on Tucker Carlson. Were you aware of just the international interest in your story? I was, but, but trying to get your mind around that on the inside is difficult. So I, I certainly was aware, but even to this point now, I don't think I totally appreciate it. I don't think I'm, um, I'm grasping the significance and just how, how big this has gotten. And, uh, and so that's part of the adjustment, I think, is trying to figure out what am I stepping back into here? What, what's this what's life going to look like now that this has happened? Will life ever be the same? Um, and so I'm just kind of taking it one day at a time on that. Now, the police were here today. They wanted yeah. to come into the church. But my question, I guess, is, given that you've already been to jail for seven weeks and the police were here today, would you do all of this all over again? Well, the answer is absolutely. Um, I couldn't do any different than I did. I was put in a position that demanded a certain response for me to be obedient to Christ. And 
Um, yeah, absolutely. I would do the exact same thing again in a heartbeat. I, I couldn't do any differently than I did. I've, I've honored my word and my integrity and my conscience, and more importantly, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the entire time. Now, I've heard some of the critics of Grace Life, and probably yourself too, say that this is, you know, sort of a stunt for fame or glory or money. How would you address that criticism? So I understand that. I think, I think in our world, we are so used to people doing things for vainglory. We, we are not used to seeing men, women of conviction that will take a principled stand based on real conviction, tethered to reality as it is, because Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And, uh, and so I, I get it. They don't know me. And so looking from afar, I can totally get it. I can totally understand it, being suspicious, just being, just thinking something uh, that this is suspect on my end. I get that. But, and I don't even know if I really care, to be honest with you. Um, this is not about what other people think. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I am here to please him, honor him, glorify him. Where the chips fall thereafter is out of my hands. And, uh, and so I get it. I, I understand it. But they just don't know me. And um, don't know my heart and, and just can't understand what I'm doing because they've never seen anything like this before. Now, I know every week that I've been here, your congregation prays for the people who have participated in your incarceration. They pray for the RCMP officers. They pray for Alberta Health Services. Do you have a message for the people who are involved in your incarceration? You know, I... I'm wrestling with what that message is at this point in time. Um, to have the RCMP here today and wanting to come into the facility was, uh, was difficult for me. Um, it is disruptive. It affects my ability to carry out my responsibility to the Lord. You know, in some ways, being in jail wasn't much of a difference because I haven't been free for months with AHS and the RCMP breathing down my neck for, for months going into jail was actually reprieve from that. And so, um, I'm thankful to be out of jail, but to be here today and to see them still wanting to enforce when this is in the court system, there's clearly a dispute. The dispute needs to play out. Let's let the dispute play out. Um, so I don't know what my message is. Obviously, I would want them to come to know Christ. I would want them to turn from their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. I, I have a heart that is full of forgiveness to anyone who's wronged me. And so I, I harbor no unforgiveness toward anyone. And so I guess that would be it at the end of the day is I would just love for them to be reconciled to God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Pastor, you've been very generous with your time, and I know this is your first interview since you got out of jail. I want to ask you what your message would be to other pastors like yourself 
their churches aren't open or they're complying with the Alberta Health Services Code and for that they're turning away members of their congregation. Do you have a message for them? Well, that's difficult too because um, just because a building has the title church on it doesn't mean it's a true church. And to the extent that churches that aren't churches are closed, um, I can take some joy in that. I don't want false churches to be open. And so it's difficult. I mean, I would need to speak with each individual pastor, understand their context, their situation, what they're going through in particular. It's the men that I'm in fellowship with, the men that I know are preachers of the gospel who are approaching the pandemic differently. I don't know that I have a message for them, but I would love to interact with them and see if I can't help them to see things a little bit differently in terms of what we're going through and where we're at and what what the the, the right response ought to be. But I recognize that we're going to see things differently at times, and that's okay. And uh, it's not a matter to, to break fellowship over with those men. I love them. And... Um, and and support them. So it's difficult. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all message in this situation. Um, and so hopefully that gives some sense of what my mind and heart would be toward that. Lastly, do you have a message for people around the world who supported you, supported Grace mm-hmm. Life, supported your family during this time? Just immensely grateful. Received so many letters, um, emails, the support that's poured in is just uh, overwhelming. And so I'm just, I'm thankful for the prayers, the well wishes, everything that has come to us in this time. Um, I want to be uh, faithful to the Lord and to the extent that that blesses others. I take an immense joy in that. I really live for, for two reasons. One, to see people saved and two, to see them sanctified. And so to hear that the Lord has been using what's happening in my life to strengthen them and cause their spiritual growth and development is just um, makes everything worth it in terms of the sacrifice it's been to me personally and my wife and our church. And so uh, I just a, a huge hearty thank you, express my love and gratitude to you and, and, and pray for me that I'll continue to be faithful and, and give you an example worthy of imitation. Thank you, Pastor Coates. Thank you. Well, great work by Sheila. She's really earned the trust of a lot of people who, you know, I should tell you that no other media were allowed on the property because they didn't come to report. They came to stab and defame and besmirch. Sheila earned the trust, as she has with so many small businesses around Alberta, and we're doing more and more fight the fines work, as you know. To learn about the cases we're defending, go to fightthefines.com. That's our show for, for today. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, Goodbye. Keep fighting for freedom.